Well, as you make your way back to our seats, I want to encourage you to grab a Bible, maybe grab a piece of paper. We want you taking notes as we open God's Word together. I once, uh, I once had a teacher tell me that listening is one thing, but listening and taking notes is another, and listening, taking notes, and teaching what you learn is the best way to learn something. All right, so as we're... And listening to the sermon, take notes, write down what God is teaching you, and then take the opportunity to share what you're learning with someone else this week, and you watch how God instills those truths into your mind, okay? Before we get into God's Word, I want to pray with you guys uh, and bring before Him different things that are on our hearts. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning, God. I'm thankful, Lord, for my brothers, my sisters, God, that are here today. Thank you, Lord, for those who are new this morning, who are visiting perhaps for the first or second time or third time. Thank you for bringing them. Uh, God, thank you for all that you are up to in our community and in our lives. God, we, we especially want to thank you even now what's going on in the baseball league at Bell Park. Thank you, Lord, for the 60 boys and girls that have signed up in this league and are only weeks away from, from finishing their season. God, we pray, Lord, that you would um, just do something supernatural these final three weeks in relationships, in, 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 in helping parents and kids see, Lord, our love, ultimately see your love. Father, I pray for gospel opportunities to share the love of Jesus. God, for any who are interested in coming, who have come, or even are here, Lord, because of it, God, we pray your blessings on them, Lord. Uh, do, do your great work as you've been doing, Father. Uh, for others of us, as we go about our summer, Lord, as we go on vacations, we go see friends or family or, or even stay at home, Lord, I pray you would just leverage these times to renew our minds and our hearts, help us get right with you, have, help us to, to prioritize our walk with Jesus. When we go on vacation, not to vacation from you, God, but to vacation to be with you more, Lord. And so I pray that you would do that. God, we lift up the churches in our community in particular, Lord. I, I want to lift up Pastor Marco David of our Midwest uh, Bible Church, Lord, who, um, who, who has cancer and who is fighting. Lord, I pray your, your healing on his body, Lord, for your provision for his family, for the church, God. Uh, we pray you would heal him, God. I know you can do that. Father, we just want to pray in faith that you would touch him in a special way, Lord. Sustain his faith. May it not waver. And we pray the same for his family and church family, Lord. We pray that you would bless that church and bless the churches in our neighborhood. Uh, God, we pray, Father, for what's going on in Thailand, for these 12 boys and their coach who, who are stuck in a cave being rescued right now as we speak, Lord. We pray, Father, that all 13 um, Thai, Thai people could come out, Lord, of that cave as well as the rescuers, Lord. We know, God, even this past week, there's already been one fatality from a rescue worker, and we, we pray you do the miraculous and bring them out safely. And ultimately, Lord, may they and may the world that's watching see that there's a real God who hears prayer, who's at work. God, may, may we never just lose sight of these things, Father. Uh, and so even now, Lord, as we, as we open your word, God, we thank you for what you're doing locally, nationally and globally. Lord, we pray that you would do a work here, God, in this room. God, I pray you would give us ears to hear, Father. Give us eyes to see. And may our hearts moldable, God, for your will. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's at the right address this morning today, friend? Yes, well, I'm glad to be here with you all. I'm excited to just engage uh, in God's word and to, to just really unpack what he's been sharing with us. Um, back in 1680, a judge in the, here in, in America named uh, Samuel Sewell, 
I wrote a letter sharing a practice that was done by the Native Americans. And in this letter, he expressed a time when there was friction, in particular in the East Coast, between Iroquois Indians and various Englishmen. And they came to a peace agreement. And in that agreement, he says that they buried two axes in the ground. He goes on to say, one for the English and one for themselves. And he says, the ceremony to them is more significant and binding than all articles of peace. They buried two axes in the ground, and he says, this ceremony is more binding for a peace treaty than an article of peace. And he says, the reason for this is that the tomahawk is their instrument of war. And so by burying an axe in the ground, they are essentially saying, we are no longer at war with one another. And that's how we get the expression, bury the hatchet. To bury the hatchet is to basically make peace when there are two parties who are at odds with one another. And what the Iroquois Indians did, they said, when we are at odds, we carry our hatchets. We carry our axes, our tomahawks, because we're ready to fight. But when there's peace... We basically put them on a top shelf, or in their expression, we bury them in the ground because we don't need them readily available because it's not a time of war. Well, you and I know that there are times in life where we got to bury hatchets with other people. And we also know that there are times in life when we carry our hatchet around because we are not at peace with a brother or a sister. Today we're going to talk about making peace when there are two people, you in particular and someone else, who are having animosity. And some of you are saying, I hate everything you said already. All right? I need you to hold on here. Uh, One thing I love about preaching through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, is that God brings things up in his timing and his way. I don't know what's going on in your lives in details. I mean, many of you I do, but not all of you. And I don't know maybe all the kinds of frictions there may be existing, perhaps even in this room, or in your household, or at your workplace. But what we do need to understand, especially among two people who know Jesus, we cannot let friction linger. You hear me, family? You can't let differences of opinions, personality, personality clashes, hurt feelings, different perspectives, keep you in tension with a brother or a sister. Conflict happens, family. People are going to get upset at one another. You will have your feelings hurt. You will be disappointed. You will be upset. But what you can't do is stay there. You can't stay there. But what happens is even with these small disagreements, rather than dealing with them, we do all kinds of other things in our day, don't we? Sometimes we say, you know what? I think I need to change churches. I've got friction with somebody. They are the problem. Let me go somewhere else. And my favorite is when someone spiritualizes and they said, you know what? I think my season is over. That word season. When I hear a season, I'm like, you're getting away from something, aren't you? I think my season is over and God is leading me somewhere else. And I don't blame God because you don't want to deal with your problem, all right? So deal with it. And so today we do that sometimes. Sometimes we, we say, you know, rather than finding common ground, we, we make that person an enemy, a villain. We castigate them. They are the joker to your Batman. 
And so that's how we take the posture. They are the bad guy. See, they've always got that smirk on their face. They're bad guys. We take this idea that it's cool, that we ain't cool. It's all right, that we ain't all right. But that's not all right. When we take the posture of I'll stay out of her way and she stays out of mine, really what we're doing is very much against what God wants us to do. You see, there's a dirty little secret the enemy doesn't want you to, to know about. And the dirty secret is this. When there is friction between two people, it never just stays there. It affects others around you. He doesn't want you to understand that it will hinder your spiritual growth and ultimately, if not dealt with, become a roadblock to the advancement of the good news of Jesus. That's that's a big deal. Satan doesn't want you to know that, that, that lingering conflict will erode the core of the church. He doesn't want you to know that what seems only to be a simmer will still cook the meat. See, this past week I was looking at that. To to simmer something, to bring it to 190 degrees, to boil something is to bring it to 212 degrees or more. And one thing I learned, though, as I was studying these different temperatures is that both will produce steam, both will bubble, and both will cook something. And so sometimes we think it's not hot, it's not boiling our our, our friction, therefore it's not all that bad, but you must understand a simmer will still do the trick. And the enemy doesn't want you to see that. Sustained disputes will get in the way of what God wants to do. And so the stakes are high, family. Today, I want to tell you that Jesus, our Lord, will provide for you all that you need to bury the hatchet with your brother, to make things right with your sister. And so what I want you to do is start identifying, maybe in your own hearts, where there might be friction for you. Perhaps it's when you hear their voice and you get upset just at the thought of them being present. They annoy you. You grind your teeth when you see them drawing near to you. Maybe you clench your fist at home when you think about them, and then you open your eyes, and you're like, wow. You get a knot in your stomach when you think about them. You're playing out scenarios in your mind. Let me ask you, have you ever had an argument in your mind that you lost? Has that ever happened to you? You, If you're like me, when I have an argument in my mind, I make a statement— and they stop, and they're like, I don't know what else to say. They're speechless, right? Has it ever gone the other way around? When your mind, you're playing out an argument, they tell you something, and you're kind of like this? No. No, you win the arguments in your mind. And you find yourself arguing with this person. There's probably a dispute or a quarrel that's taking place in your relationship with them. If you feel in your heart you're trying to avoid them at all costs, if they are going that way, then you're going to go that way to go that way because you need to get there. You're avoiding them. If you feel in your heart it wouldn't be so bad if they moved to New Zealand or Fiji or Jakku, the junkyard, my, my Star Wars fans will fill you in on that one, then you know you've got trouble. But Paul says in Romans 12, 18, he says, So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. And so what God tells us is that you and I have a personal, hear that? 
You've got a personal responsibility to do all that you can to get right with your sister or your brother. You cannot determine their reaction. You can't determine their response. But you have the responsibility on your part to do what you need to do. I'm not talking to someone who's not here that you're thinking about right now. I'm not talking about a person in another row. I'm talking to you. God is talking to you. Never think that it's going to blow over. It won't blow over. It will blow up. All right, fam? And so here we come to Philippians 4, and Paul is addressing a conflict between two people. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, I'm going to be reading for us, and then we're going to look at this passage together. If you can, would you rise to your feet with me and open your Bibles and join me there. Let's, get, let's be aggressive and, and active listeners. Listen with our ears, read with our eyes, write with our hands, and eventually teach with our mouths. Philippians chapter 4, there's a Bible in a chair in front of you. If you haven't got one, we're on page like 980-something, right? 292, something like that. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, I'm going to read. We're coming towards the end of the book of Philippians, a letter written by Paul, not from his bedroom, not from his office, but from a prison cell. He loves the people who live in Philippi. He loves the church there. He wants to equip them. And in his thoughts and reflection about them and how he wants to help the church, he says this in verse 2. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's read verses 4 and 5 together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Praise God. This is his word. You may be seated. Paul takes his opportunity to speak to two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who are having a disagreement, and he wants them to bury the hatchet. He wants them to squash it. Just off the bat, it tells us that conflict's going to happen in the church. And whenever I do counseling with people who are having conflict, I tell them conflict's natural and it's expected. You, you may not hear that very often, but you need to understand conflict is expected because you have conflict because you have different opinions, and you have different opinions oftentimes because you're different people. And so when two people come to discuss something, it shouldn't be all that rare where there's conflict or maybe disagreement, but it's what you do with the conflict that matters. It's what you do with it. Disagreements will come, but they may not always go until you deal with it. So the presence of conflict doesn't mean the absence of a good relationship, but it does mean you got to work it through. And Paul is telling us here that these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, are having a challenge in, in agreeing together. He says, I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He wants them to agree. But before we look at perhaps what might be going wrong, let's understand what he's saying about these two people because I find this to be perhaps the most fascinating thing. These are not two people who are hard-hearted, rebellious, and hate the Lord. These are two women who actually love God, who, are, who Paul speaks the world of, but they just can't get on the same page. 
Look what he, he says about them. He, he expresses their importance in the kingdom, their ministry effectiveness, how God has used them. He says this in, in verse 3. He says, These women have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. He talks about these two women who have labored side by side with him. The word labor is laborious, isn't it? It means that there's been some sweat that has happened, maybe some tears that have happened. These two women have worked side by side together with Paul at some point in their lives. Paul is expressing to them that they've been valuable kingdom workers with him. They've worked side by side. And he says they've done so in the gospel, which means that these two women, together with Paul and others, had done some kingdom advancing, hell's gates shaking, life-changing, heaven-rejoicing work together. These women have worked side by side. Paul says they've worked side by side in the gospel with Clement and the other fellow workers. They're a part of a team of people. And you and I know when you work as a team, you're going to have different personalities. People will annoy you. And you've got to work it out to get to the same goal. These women have been a part of such a team before. And then perhaps most remarkable, Paul says that their names are in the book of life. Their names are in the book of life. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and 15, the Apostle John has a vision of the last days, and he sees God open a book, which is called the book of life. And the people whose names were not in the book of life were thrown in the lake of fire, which is hell, and will be there for eternal conscience punishment. Those who are in the book of life are received into God's kingdom and are there forever with God in his presence. Paul knows these two women personally, and he is there testifying to the fact that these two women have both been called by God, They have both put their faith in Jesus. God has sanctified them. He has declared them right before his sight. And God has glorified them. So much so, and Paul's so confident in this, he's like, their names are in the book of life. I'm not doubting whether or not they are genuine believers, is what Paul is saying here. That's significant. And likely because not only has he seen their faith, but he's also seen their fruit. Paul knows them. These two women, leaders likely in the church of Philippi, which probably is why he feels the need to step in and say something. These two women are not in agreement. Now understand, agreement doesn't mean sameness. We're not always going to have perfect alignment with one another. And Paul's not advocating for that. He's just saying you shouldn't have beef together that lingers. You've got to resolve the conflict. Earlier in the chapter, I'm sorry, in the book, in chapter 2, verse 5, Paul uses the same word when he says agree in the Lord. He uses this saying we need to have the same mind, this, this agreement, this mind, the same mind as that of Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying here, if we had disagreements, we still must be like-minded as to the goal, as to the gospel, as to our mission and purpose in life. In life. So he says we must look to Jesus there. And these women clearly at this moment, in this situation, aren't doing it. 
and their conflict is lingering. Let me ask you, what, what causes your conflicts to linger? Sometimes it's pride, isn't it? Sometimes it's fear. You don't want to deal with it. You'd rather ignore it than have confrontation, right? Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's self-righteousness, and you're like, they don't deserve me. Maybe it's shame. You know you're wrong. See, all kinds of things cause fear or cause a, a conflict to linger. But, but what is it among these women that's causing their conflict? We, we don't know. Apart from this, this verse here, we know nothing about these women. All we know is their two names are both Greek names which means they probably came to faith in Jesus when Paul planted the church in Philippi in the book of Acts chapter 16. That's all we know. But what's interesting here is Paul ends this letter, after, this, after verse four, uh, 3, he gives seven different commands following this, this, this verse. And some people read this passage as seven unique commands that Paul wants to see in the church, and no doubt that's partially true. But I wonder if he's given us clues as to their conflict in verses 4 and 5. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then he says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And as I was thinking about conflict, and the conflicts you and I face, oftentimes they are the result of us or the other party, or likely both, having a, a bit of unreasonableness among us. We're just, we're just not being reasonable in our approach to what's going on. We're failing to extend grace to each other. So, so what then does it mean to be reasonable? Well, Paul says, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. So let's talk about this. What, what kind of mind would Jesus want us to have when someone offends you? What, what kind of mind, what kind of response would Jesus want you to have when you are experiencing animosity with someone else? To find that answer, let, let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Would you turn your Bibles there? It's about 50, 70 pages or so to your left in the Bible. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. In that book, we find the life of Jesus, and we also find the teaching of Jesus. And in chapters 5 through 7, we have what's called the Sermon on the Mount, or on the mountain. It's one of Jesus' most uh, longest sermons that we have recorded. And several times in this sermon, Jesus speaks to the different conflicts that we experience and tells us the right way to respond. This is what it means having the mind of Jesus, having a reasonable mind in the midst of conflict. I'm just going to look at these real briefly, but look at chapter 5, verse 7 of Matthew. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So you're having conflict, extend mercy. Look what he says in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Be a peacemaker, not a peace avoider with your conflict. Look at chapter 5, verse 23. Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, that, that's an act of worship. If you're trying to enter into worship, and there remember that your brother has something against you, 
leave your gift therefore there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift come to terms quickly jesus says that's what a reasonable mind does look at matthew chapter 7 verse 1 When you're in conflict with somebody and you feel very, very right and they seem to be very wrong, Jesus says, judge not that you you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus tells us a lot of times in our disputes and conflicts, we tend to see a person without noticing our own fault in the situation. Look at chapter 7, verse 12. Ultimately, Jesus says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for that is the law, for this is the law and the prophets. What Jesus is telling us is this. When you're dealing with adversity with somebody and you've got a strained relationship and there is a clash between you, approach that person the same way you want them to approach you. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe maybe they're seeing things totally different. Maybe they got stress in their life and it's causing them to respond this way and you're not even seeing that. Don't assume you're right. Maybe you're wrong. If you're wrong, don't be too prideful to say I'm sorry. What Jesus is saying is, wouldn't you want them to do that to you? And so when Paul is writing here to the Philippian church, he said, be reasonable here, Yodia, Syntyche. Extend grace to each other. Don't assume the worst of them. Oh, I bet they're at home thinking about this or that. Oh, I bet they're telling their friend this or that. Oh, I know what she's thinking when she saw me. Oh, I know what. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Love them. Extend grace. See, because your aim needs to be to have a clear conscience before God. You hear me? Your aim must be to have a clear conscience before God. And so when Paul says in Romans 12, 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people, that's a vertical decision. That's coming before God and say, God, what have I got to do to be right with you with relation to my sister or my brother? And that's what Paul is putting on our minds. So what do we do? What do we do when we're faced with these things? Well, I think the answer is here in the text. I think God gives us three ways that we need to respond with conflict, okay? three of them. The first one is, is, is a hidden phrase that we've seen throughout the book of Philippians, but God brought it to my side through some, reading some commentaries this week, and it triggered these beautiful thoughts here. Paul tells Yodia and Syntyche to agree. This is the first thing. Agree in the Lord. See those three words? In the Lord. 
See, that phrase, in the Lord, has showed up several times already in the book of Philippians. See, to call Jesus our Lord is to submit ourselves under his lordship. A Lord is a master, someone who rules. And when we put our faith and believe in Jesus, we are saying, Jesus, you are the master, I am not. You are the one who calls the shots, I do not. I submit myself under your authority. And so throughout this letter, Paul has shown how when we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, we can tackle insurmountable tasks. You hear that? When we submit to Jesus, we can, we, we can approach inter, insurmountable challenges and have victory through Jesus. Here's the first thing. In chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says, I'm in prison now, and that is means for discouragement. But he says, many have found confidence in the Lord. What Paul said there is that people looked at his imprisonment. They see he's there because he preached Jesus. They've seen his boldness. Now they are becoming bold as they submit to the lordship of Jesus. They found confidence in the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 19, when Paul could have despaired, he says he finds hope in the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 24, Paul could have been aggravated by his circumstance, but he says, I hope and trust in the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 29, when he's advocating for this man Epaphroditus, he tells the, the Philippian church, receive him, that means be gracious to him, in the Lord. See, submitting ourselves under the lordship of Jesus allows us to do things we otherwise couldn't do. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul tells them, rejoice in the Lord. He says that in 4, 4 as well. Because they have reason to not rejoice. But Paul's like, look, but there's plenty of reason to rejoice. In chapter 4, verse 1, when our citizenship is in heaven and we're facing adversity, the world is trying to push us away. Paul says, stand firm thus in the Lord. You see where I'm going with this, family? See, Paul is saying time and again, when you feel like the proper response is not possible, in the Lord, God makes it possible. And so when he looks at Yodia and Syntyche through his pen, he says, agree in the Lord. It may not seem possible, perhaps, for these two women. Perhaps it seemed insurmountable. But as they submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus, Paul says, God can and will provide for you all that you need to work it out. And that's what he wants them to do. Just as God provides confidence, hope, trust, grace, joy, and stand, uh, the ability to stand firm, he also provides the opportunity to agree in the Lord. So what we got to do is get vertical with God. Say, Lord, is there sin in my life? Am I being stubborn? Am I holding on to my pride? Do I actually enjoy the conflict? And they get horizontal, but don't get even. So let's get this right before God. So when we're faced with conflict, the first thing that we see in the text is that we can agree in the Lord. God provides what's needed because he is our master. The second thing we see here in the text is what Paul mentions in verse 3. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. He says, I ask you, true companion, help these women. Who is he talking to? 
We don't know. But they clearly knew. It's a singular word. True companion is singular in the Greek. Paul has somebody in mind in the Philippian church who he's saying, hey, you got to step in and help these two women to agree here. They are far too valuable. Their, their effectiveness is too important. The gospel is too beautiful for it to be at stake with this conflict. Brother, sister, step in there and help these women. The second thing God provides is oftentimes a third party in disagreement. Family, Facebook is not a third party. All right? Your circle of friends is not a third party. A third party is a leader in the local church. It could be your real community leader. It could be an elder or one of the pastors here. And when you bring it to a third party, you don't come saying, they're so wrong, they're so evil, look at this joker. Can you believe them? You say, look, we need help. We got to squash this. And if you are that third party, you've got to listen to both sides. I haven't been in ministry forever, but the years I've been in here, I've been a pastor for 10, almost 11 years now, I've learned that there are always two sides to every conflict. And here Paul is saying to this true companion, you got to step in there. You know, sometimes we know of conflicts and we don't step in. And I'm telling you today, true companion, step in and help your brothers or your sisters who are at odds with love, with grace, with the mind of Jesus to bring unity. Family gossip is such a poison in the church. It is unacceptable. It is a sin. It, it, it is rebellion against God. It is awful. Do not gossip. And if you don't know how to proceed in your conflict, talk to one of our elders at the church. Don't talk to all of them. Just talk to one of them and say, hey, I need help here. And the elders will talk and convene and say, all right, God, help us, help us bring unity here. God uses a third party. Now, now I, wa- I do want to say this. Don't think that that's what you need if you haven't first tried to do one-on-one with your brother or sister. Sometimes people are like, you know, this person's really getting me upset, da-da-da. I'm like, have you talked to them? No. Then why are you talking to me? Go talk to them. You've got to talk to them. You've got to do all that you can. And if at that point... You've done your best. You can't figure it out. Then you talk to a leader and say, help us out here. All right? God provides that. But at the same time, look at this. Where's Paul writing from? I've told you guys about 100 times in the series. Where's he at? He's in jail. He's in prison. How did he find out about this? Well, clearly, Epaphroditus brought the letter. Paul's like, tell me how things are going. He's like, oh, this is going well, this is going that. He's like, man, Paul, but you got to know about this. Epaphroditus knew of their conflict. And now Paul, who's likely in the city of Rome on another part of the empire, is in a jail cell hearing about their conflict because they couldn't figure it out. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing that he had to write in his letter and mention these two sisters by name. Saying, sisters, you got to agree. I mean, we, we've, gone, we've gone through it all together. We've preached the gospel together. We've seen people saved together. 
We, we've, seen, we've seen people repent of their sins together. We've seen hell's gates shaking together. And you can't get right? You love the Lord, get right. I can imagine the angst Paul is saying. He's like, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. He mentions entreat twice because he wants them to know that both of them got to take responsibility. So Paul's saying, man, y'all got to bury that hatchet. See, again, remember, the, the dirty secret Satan wants you to think is that it's just between the two of you, but it's not just between Yodia and Syntyche, is it? It affects the whole church. It affects your spiritual growth, which means then you can't be a blessing to others. Others see your face when that person walks in the room. They're like, mm, I know what's going on there. It affects others, and God forbid it affects others because you gossiped. Agree in the Lord. God will provide. Jesus will provide. Number two, in extreme circumstances, you reach out to a third party and say, help us, help us. And the third way we can resolve this conflict, as we see in verse 5, he said, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord, excuse me, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. That little phrase, the Lord is at hand. I don't know if Paul is addressing these two women specifically at this point, but I can hardly think that they heard their names mentioned a verse earlier are not hearing these words in a different way. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean? It can mean one of two things, and maybe Paul's even highlighting both. On the one hand, see, the Lord's at hand. The Lord is here. He, he is here among you. That, that ought to cause us to say, God, I want to be right. Not just with you, but with my sister, my brother. Lord, you're at hand. You are here. How can I live in tension with this brother or sister whom your son Jesus poured out his blood to save? So the Lord is here. He is at hand. He is among us. But also, I think Paul might have in mind, the Lord is at hand. He's coming quickly. And when he comes, he's taking his church. And in heaven, it's going to be a bride a church who's filled with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and yes, even the person you don't like right now. And I can't help but think that when we have this perspective that God is with us right now, that Jesus is coming back, that we're going to be in glory for eternity, that people are dying out there, how then, how then can I stay in tension with someone else because of my pride or shame or fear? and not make it right. See, I mentioned before that God has provided all that we need to be right before him. Agree in the Lord. Reach out to a third party if necessary. But keep in mind, the Lord is at hand, and he wants you to work it out. See, what appears to be a small simmer is never just that. It won't just stay there. And maybe that's where it's at at the moment. Turn off the stove, get it right. Don't let the simmer create steam and bubble and end up cooking. See, again, it's, it, the enemy wants you to think it's a small thing. But small things that linger will blow up. And so let's not, let's not let that happen, family. Jesus loves his church, 
and he wants his church to be united. And he will provide for you all that you need to bury that hatchet. And will you do that? Will you do that? Or will you let it linger? Paul tells these two women, you can agree in the Lord. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. There's the unity of the church and there's the advancement of the good news of Jesus. See, Jesus died to make unity possible. He died to make reconciliation, that's, that's, that's unity with God possible through faith in Jesus, and he died to make it horizontal possible. And so family, let us not, let us not resist that. Let us not resist the Holy Spirit. If you've got to repent today, you repent. You say, God, forgive me. If you've got to talk to a brother or sister today, you talk to that brother or sister, and you ask them to forgive you. You got to get it right. You got to get it right today. Don't let it linger. Too much is at stake. Let's bury the hatchet. Father, we come before you, Lord, and bring this message here. And saying, God, would your, would your spirit work in our hearts? God, would, would uh, your grace just saturate over us, God? Lord, I, I want nothing to do with trying to guilt people into responding. And I know, Lord, that you ultimately don't want that. But when we are guilty, you call us to bring that to you, Lord, where we can find forgiveness, but then we also receive the command to get right with others. And so, Lord, may we look to the good news of Jesus where we are forgiven and made right and brought peace with you, God, and let the implications of the gospel, this good news, affect our horizontal relationships, Lord. God, help us when we don't know what to do. Help us when we've failed, God. Help us identify the, the conflicts in our heart. And Lord, may we be men and women, youth, young people, who respond in a way, God, that pleases you and really cares deeply about being right with you and with others, Lord. God, we know that you are at hand. There's far too much at stake in a world that is so dark. God, you have primarily positioned your church to do kingdom work. And Father, I pray that as we learn to live life together, with all of our differences and opinions and personality types and all the things that we have that are so different. As we learn to live life together in ups and downs, God, may, may we never, Lord, let, let these, these differences get in the way, God, of your work. So we bring this before you, God. We cling fast to Jesus who's given us all we need, Lord. I pray this in his name. Amen.